Well, here we go, folks. Here we go, and welcome back to the. <laughs> all right, it was all worth it just to get that reaction. We do a reel, though. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to your favorite one-stop shop for. Horror news, true crime, and real-life tales of the unexplained. Monsters at Midnight, brought to you by the Zima Podcasting Network. You can listen to us on Anchor, iTunes, and hopefully Spotify one of these days. Ah. <laughs> if you watch the latest episode, that's when JoLynn blacks out on air. You ever want to hear JoLynn black out on air? Oh, fuck. We, we introduced her before we even got to the introductions. Oh, uh, also, hot new website. And we shot in your face. Maximum podcasts. Minimal pornography. <laughs> Podcast today keeps the doctor away. And a new logo. It's super cute. Yep. Because the other one looked way too much like iHeartRadio's logo. I, I knew exactly of... what you were talking about when you made that post, too. And who am I? I am... Matt Schaefer, the fucking the <laughs> stupidest fucking horror movie dork you'll ever see whose tattoo throbs apparently. It's in Ew. the canon now. And who is that who is rightfully disturbed, disgusted, and deceased? It's Jolyn Dormandy. Oh, fuck you. <laughs> it's Dormady. Jolyn and they Dormady. actually Graham just fixed it on the fucking website. Or on the web on Spotify. After like eighty five years. And who is that just spraying his nasty fucking pits Ooh. with some fucking Drakar essence? The fucking Nazi. It's Cram Zima. <laughs> oh, that smells so good. Sorry. Yeah, buddy. You know, this is quite the episode we have landed <laughs> on. Make sure you punch that like button for our new Facebook page. Oh, Follow yeah. us on Instagram and shoot us an email if you ever fucking get around to writing something I can jerk off to. <laughs> the privacy of my own home. Have we gotten any emails at all? One, oh. uh, Ben suggested we rank all of Rob Zombie's movies. That's nice. Um, so shouts to Ben. I uh, went to high school with Ben. I think he was a senior when I was a freshman. But I hope you're listening, Ben. Hope you liked it. Hope you write me some erotica. <laughs> yeah, fuck. Um, but anyway, somebody out there. enough of this Mickey Mouse bullshit. <laughs> Lock your doors, bolt your windows, and turn off the lights. Monsters at motherfucking midnight rides again. Second episode this week since we missed last week. If you're again, if you're listening to this live, when what it even is live, when yeah, it actually not... goes on the fucking yeah. Yeah. God. <laughs> um, hey, you ever want to hear me and Joe Lynn agree on something? Well, you're about to. Oh, yeah. We saw good old Quentin Tarantino's new romp through 1960s Hollywood once upon a time in Hollywood, in Hollywood, because <laughs> there's an ellipse. Yes, right. Okay. I read the most pretentious fucking review of the of the of this movie where oh, it was I like wait to hear this. it was like the ellipsis is important because it emphasizes the fairy tale aspect before moving into reality. Ugh. And I'm like, fuck off. I do that. actually I really like how they presented the title um because they didn't actually show it until the very end. Yeah, they showed it at the very end. And it was like it was the once cool. upon a time dot 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 in Hollywood. And it was beautiful. It was beautiful, but was I weird. fucking hate people that use words that I don't like. Like <laughs> ellipses. Yeah, well, I mean, it yeah. was it was a joke. No, I get it. That does sound really pretentious. 
It was like I was watching comedians in cars getting coffee. I love you know, that, that show. I actually do too, even though I fucking is it Seinfeld that yeah. does that. I fucking hate him. I'm not a big fan of I Seinfeld. I watch it purely for the people he has yeah. on the show. But there's one where he's like talking with Will Ferrell and they're discussing like the least pretentious way to talk about films and it's like uh, what's the most pretentious thing to call them? And it's like movies, film, or uh, I think picture. Oh. And uh, <laughs> it was pretty much like movie, you're good. Film and uh, picture are like very close to each other, but I think picture is the most pretentious. Oh, yeah. And I was like, oh yeah, I get behind that. I'm right behind uh, that. They just had Eddie Murphy on the new season. That's I was fun. very happy about that. That's fun. Um, but yeah, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, as we said, takes place in 1969 in San Francisco. And it's all about... It's, don't fucking look at me like that. <laughs> I actually, actually had a moment where I was going to be like, no. <laughs> <laughs> like, Takes place in Hollywood. <laughs> Woo! It's all about uh, oh, Le- wow. Leonardo DiCaprio. <laughs> Jolene's broken, by the oh, way. Really broken. She doesn't remember everywhere. how. Uh, if you ever know what it sounds like. Did we open the episode talking about you blacking out? Yeah. Or did we do that in between recording? Yeah. And that's how I ended up bruised today. Because was... she doesn't fucking eat food before she partakes in the liquor. I'm irresponsible. Anyway, moving on. Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio plays Rick Dalton. Uh a sort kind of has been kind of aging out actor who is who had a, a short but not very successful run in movies and now he had a very successful run on a western tv series and now he's sort of being demoted to playing the bad guy a week on these new tv shows that are coming out and Brad Pitt plays his longtime friend uh and stuntman but really sort of lackey uh I can't remember what Brad Pitt's character's name is. Oh, son of a bitch. Well, we'll find that later. Um, Leonardo DiCaprio happens to live next door to Roman Polanski and Sharon Tate. Sharon Tate, of course, being played by Margot Robbie. Oh, it she is, did so good, too. She did. It is all about Leonardo DiCaprio trying to struggle with uh, the reality that he is not as popular as he once was. And, oh, yeah, the Manson family's there. Woohoo! Um Booth. Cliff Booth is Brad. Cliff Booth, yes. Um, Star-studded cast, gorgeous, gorgeous production value. Oh yeah, fucking prime QT cinematography, and of course a batshit climax Mm -hmm. for Quentin Tarantino's pulp pulp fiction rendition of history, not unlike what he did with Inglorious Bastards. We'll try and keep it vague at the beginning, but again, uh, we will get into spoiler territory. The movie is out. You can see it, so go do it if you want to see it. What did you think about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Jolin? It was like, it's probably Tarantino's like funniest movie, I think, because I laughed so much while watching that movie. Yeah. Like, it was fucking hilarious. It's one of his more mature movies, too. Like, um, like that, introspective, I guess. Oh yeah, I, I get what you mean. I also like. I think it was very appropriate to uh, have Cliff Booth be um, Rick's like right hand man, and he just kind of takes it and doesn't doesn't give a shit. Because I'm like, it's kind of what stunt doubles do in film, because they're like doing all the legwork all the time yeah. for like half the pay and recognition and. You know, I think it was kind of a. Just stay a nice... tuned for a movie that we're making about that that may or may not be made. <laughs> I just, oh yeah, I just uh, 
forgot about that. Oh man, we need to. We need to make oh, that. Oh my god, I know. Anyway, Will has been on my ass to stay writing and work on shit. So if Will, if you remember, incidentally from the episode that Jolene <laughs> blacked out on, yeah. where we talk about anime video games, um, Will is hoping wow. to produce or help make this movie oh, of ours. Nice. So. Well, I'm going to finish the one I'm working on now, and then I'll get back to that one. I think maybe I'll be motivated after that. Um, I'm not going anywhere. That's fair. Um, but yeah, so I, I like a lot of my stuff has to, has to do with spoilers. So um, I guess that, yeah, I mean, that scene with like that little girl that was shown in the trailer where she's like, that was some of the best acting I've ever seen. She was so f- fucking good I in know, that well, movie. Because like, I mean, this isn't really a spoiler, but she was like a very, she was a very serious little actress. So then, like, it made that scene so much more like, oh, and it was like right after he like had to keep at, had to keep asking for like wine in a scene, and then he finally got it, and she was just so fucking, it was so sweet. Mm-hmm. And I also feel like I can relate to that really well because like, gave me flashbacks of my senior year in high school drama, and uh, I like skipped out on almost every rehearsal, even though I was like. Miss Hannigan? No, that wasn't Miss Hannigan. Year I was a the villain in Zombie Prom, which uh, in the movie version of that, RuPaul plays my my character. It was actually it's really good. Um, So that was the year my mom directed, and I was just like, "Fuck it, I'm not gonna show up. I'm gonna go smoke weed." But then uh, dress rehearsal came along, and I forgot every single line, and I had to like run to the back and like fucking study my lines in between scenes. But then. You know, when we actually went on the rest of that weekend, I was fine. But, so, I felt his pain very, (laughs) not exactly the same, obviously, because it's like fucking filming. Well, I love that scene, too, because they present it as if it's a scene of the movie, and then he he breaks, like, he breaks the character and asks for his line, and then you realize that they're filming a scene from the show. Yeah, I thought it was... The editing of the movie and the pace of the movie was really, really well thought out. And um, um, a lot of I've heard a lot of people criticize that there isn't much of a narrative to the film. And that's true. Initially, that's kind of how I felt. But like as it came along, I, I, I disagree. Well, I mean, even then, like even if it isn't as narrative based as most of Tarrant, because it's definitely his least narrative based. I suppose. Yeah. Other than like Death Proof, which is literally just like pretty girls and then a car. And I love it. <laughs> and it's. We're agreeing. We're agreeing. <laughs> That's what we're doing this episode. Um, it's. Mom and Dad are fighting again. <laughs> Always. Um. That's why she got the bruises. Uh, oh, no, that's no. poor, poor taste. I apologize. I think I just got into a fight with a wall. Anyway, and lost. Oh, um, no, I mean I'm pretty sure I won. My, I'm not broken entirely. I'm just bruised. You've been bitching about how much pain you're in. Yeah, all I'm night. in a lot of pain. Okay. Anyway, um, <laughs> you're not wrong. Anyway, uh, even for being Tarantino's least narrative-driven uh, film, I was really okay with that because the landscape. And the oh, just so the beautiful. tone, like the pacing of everything, he really just wanted it. You can tell it's his dream project. Like it's definitely like he is. He was just he wanted to make this movie to celebrate one of his favorite eras of Hollywood, and like good fucking on him. And of course, he brings up like spaghetti westerns because everyone's telling Rick Dalton to go to Italy and film spaghetti westerns because that's what's in right now. And 
it's even for like not having much of a narrative, I think it's fucking wonderful. It's wonderful just as the characters, of course, are so well written and so charismatic. And even if some of them are represented improperly, I mean, I hear Bruce Lee's daughter is pissed about the way that he represents Bruce Lee in the movie. Yeah, but I mean, I've heard from like so many interviews. Or I've read, I guess, that Bruce Lee was kind of a dickhead. Well, I mean, like, that's the thing is, like, I can t- I don't know much about Bruce Lee, admittedly. I've never been a big martial arts moviegoer. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've n- never seen a Bruce Lee movie. Well, he wasn't all that much of a dickhead in the movie anyway. Well, I mean, like, he was just, he was an egotist. Yeah. At the end of the day. But what it comes down to is, like, Bruce Lee came up so fast and was the hottest shit, I could see that someone like that would get a bit of a, an ego on them. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it, like, paints Bruce Lee in a negative light. I don't even really think he paints him in that negative of a light. No, I think it's just... I think he's just kind of funny. But I think he just seems a little bit cocky, which, like... I he mean, just seems cocky, and then he gets his ass beat by Brad Pitt, which that, we all know wouldn't happen, yeah. so I know why. I don't know why she's I'm like, pissed. I'm, I'm, like, a little bit mad that... Tarantino did that because I'm like, come on, he wouldn't have beat Bruce Lee's ass. I get what you're doing, but come on. I thought it was funny. And plus, like, Bruce Lee actually did that whole, like, oh, my hands are registered weapons thing. So it's like, you can't tell me that guy wasn't cocky. Oh, no. Oh, no. I mean, that's half of being a fighter, too, is shit talking. Yeah. Like, and that's all he's doing in that movie is shit talking. Well, and it's like, I think I kind of just, I like, this is a little... I like the addition of, like, Bruce Lee and Sharon Tate as opposed to Rick Dalton and uh, Cliff Booth because it's, like, it's, like, these two, like, aging, you know, almost out-of-the-business actors and a stunt double and then, you know, Sharon Tate, who's, like, just coming up and then Bruce Lee, who's just coming up and Mm -hmm. they're both kind of blowing up a little bit, you know? Yeah. So it's, like... It's a good juxtapotato. (laughs) Juxtapotato. It's a good juxtaposition. I almost said it again, too. Fuck you. Uh, it's, a, it's a good juxtaposition of... Because that was right in, like, the Hollywood renaissance of the late 60s and early 70s yeah. where, like, like movies like Easy Rider and The Trip were, like, the hot new shit in Hollywood. So, like, the, these actors, I would do, like... What, what is it? Lancer is a show that Rick Dalton's on, the cowboy show that he's on. It would make sense that, like, that's what that's not what the kids are into anymore. And then of course it plays into the hippie hippie movement and the Manson family. And I think this would be a good point to uh, move into spoilers. Now, if you are looking to see this movie, tune us out. Uh, We'll check back uh, with us next week where we'll talk about some trailers that dropped um, because we're just going to be talking about this movie for the rest of the episode. Uh, So go check out the movie if you haven't yet and want to see it. Two thumbs up from Siskel and Ebert here at Monsters <laughs> of Midnight. That's a good um, way to describe us. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so. Spoiler time? Spoiler time. Okay. So uh, when we were first talking about this, I think I mentioned that I was like, oh, I hope he does the Inglorious Bastards thing 
where he just sort of changes history. Oh, way rewrites history yeah, again. I, I was so happy with what they did too. It's a very, like, it's a very cathartic ending. Yeah. Oh my god, it felt so good. And like, just they kick the fucking shit out of those two, and the dog that gets involved, yeah. and it's just a little ass kicker. And I'm just like, yes, For I the, love this. Since we kind of just jumped right into it, Sharon Tate does not die. She the, doesn't. They, the, the night that uh, Sharon Tate and her friends were supposed to be murdered. The Manson family actually goes to murder Rick Dalton mm-hmm. and don't end up so hot. Well, well one fucking, of them does. I'm not going to spoil that. As soon as, uh, as, uh, is his name Cliff? As soon as he yeah. took, he, like, so he takes acid and goes to walk his dog. And I was like, the whole time I'm thinking, oh, he's going to, like, actually go into the wrong house and that's what's going to happen and it's going to be all nuts. And then just not at all. He just comes back and is like, happy and then is is just fucking tripping balls and has to fight the fucking Manson family and if that isn't just fucking perfect I don't know what is it's a it's a really it's a funny exclamation point to the movie because it's one of those things where it's like oh Tarantino is doing more of an introspective movie just sort of making like an experience versus a narrative driven moment and then immediately just flips it up to bat shit Tarantino yeah, 11 fuck, so much fucking brutality yeah dude. I loved that shit it was so fucking brutal. yeah and then we we forgot to mention that uh Cliff Booth Brad Pitt's character picks up uh Manson and girl and oh, takes yeah. her to the ranch. Well, then they like kind of cross him immediately, and then he ends up having to kick the shit out of dude there. And it's just yeah. like, damn, man. That's the thing is like, there's some legitimate suspense in this mm-hmm. movie. Um, it, a lot of the scenes at the Manson family ranch were phenomenal. Apparently, Danielle Harris is one of the Manson girls. I don't know who she played. It took me, uh, uh, it took my friend leaning over to me in the theater for me to recognize Lena Dunham is one of them. Mm-hmm. And, and I love uh, that they got Dakota Fanning. Dakota Fanning, who I didn't even recognize until afterwards. I was really? like, that was fucking Dakota Fanning. I haven't seen Dakota Fanning in since, like, what, fucking Charlotte's Web, though? So oh, wow. I, I don't follow Dakota. I mean, I, I, I would I, recognize L. The Runaways uh, is, like, one of my favorite movies. Oh. So I, like, I, I'm like, I know that face. I would recognize L. Fanning because I love the Neon Demon. But there's some legitimately good suspense in this movie. And even in the climax, I was like, like, I honestly got like, I I figured he was going to rewrite history. I just Mm -hmm. didn't know how. And you end up forming such a connection with the the fictional characters that you're like, fuck, like, I don't want anyone to die. Mm -hmm. And I don't want the real people to to die either. Like, so I kind of figured Tarantino wouldn't do that because it's like, but it's also like it's Tarantino. Like he could. It could. could go either way. Yeah, that's true. So it was actually it was legitimately. It was hard it, to tell. It was it was cool not knowing how it was gonna play out. That scene when uh so like after it gets all brutal and like Rick Dalton walks up to, um the Polanski house, uh, and like Sharon Tate coming out on like the intercom thing and asking mm-hmm. if he's okay. I like straight up cried. I was oh, really? like. She's all I could think of was uh, Pulp Fiction. Uh, where Where is the intercom? Oh yeah, fuck! I forgot about that. Um, fuck yeah, dude! This movie rocked. Yeah, it was really good. I, I also I cannot good. I like if you listen to me on this show and on this network, you know I do not give a single shit about award season. But if this movie does not fucking pull the production mm-hmm. design award, there is actually no sense in paying attention to the award ceremony. I can I can get behind that statement. Because I cannot sing the praises of this movie 
well enough because it it looks so much like what I would assume Hollywood in the 60s would look like mm -hmm. because like they had huge sections of LA closed down just to like like recreate shit and it's wonderful and all the, and the soundtrack is great too because it's not just like a like a Spotify playlist of hits from the late 60s oh, it's it like actual hard. interesting music apart from like they use Mrs. Robinson which is like their only gimme that's like okay like yeah. but the rest of the music was fresh and like but still like and captured that era. Um, I thought it was, I don't know. Do you have anything else to say? Well, I guess there was one thing. I, uh, I don't remember who I was talking to about this movie, but I mean, I've been talking about it a lot since I saw it. And uh, I was talking to someone who went with somebody who didn't know anything about the Manson murders, just knew that Charlie Manson was like a cult leader. Mm -hmm. So uh, that narrative kind of got lost to them. And so like the whole movie was fucking confusing. For them. Oh, really? So it's like that. I think that might be my only like issue with it is like you know you shouldn't assume that your audience is stupid, but you gotta assume that like you know they might not know the the whole details of serial killers the way that a lot of people do. You know that's fair because they do barely like if you don't know much about Manson. Yeah, Manson is in it for like five minutes, and it's like you you hear him mention the Wilson brothers. Yeah. And then that's it. If you didn't know anything about Charles Manson, though, like yeah, you, you, wouldn't, you, wouldn't, you would, you would no be like, "Who's this weird, on? weird dude talking to Sharon Tate?" Yeah, and like, who the fuck are these people going to murder somebody? Yeah, exactly. Oh God, that was like, uh, because I just recently watched the third season of Stranger Things. The chick in that series. Um, have you seen the third season of Stranger Things? I haven't Things? seen any of it. Well, they they introduce new character in this new season. Um, uh, who works at like is it like the Shippy Ahoy or Ships Ahoy whatever ice cream shop, and that's like their first like gay narrative in Stranger Things. So I'm like a huge fan. She plays uh fuck the 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 Manson girl that like got cold feet and didn't All participate. Yeah. yeah. So I was just like, oh, hey, look at you. It's you. You're in more stuff. You're, I bet you're making all the money. Fucking Stranger Things. Who's yeah. who's that girl's agent? Did you see that uh, Tim Roth was still credited in the cast, even though his scene was cut? Aw. What Do scene it, was he in? He or wasn't he, in. He was right, cut. Right. But I don't know what know. he was going to be in. Yeah. I, I remember I kept seeing him in the cast list, and then like... Well, yeah. did, did how long did you stay during the credits? Because there... It, Oh I, really? I had to leave right away. Oh damn! Because there was um. Don't there, tell me there was a post credits. Thing. There wasn't a post credits scene, but during the credits, there's like uh Rick Dalton filming a Red Apple cigarette commercial. Uh, and then afterwards, they start playing an advertisement for the Adam West Batman, like a radio ad advertisement for the Adam West Batman with the theme song and everything. Uh, as like the soundtrack. It was pretty cool. But they it. during the credits they have the gang and it's like all of Tarantino's regulars are credited there. And it says Tim Roth cut someone else cut. Aww. Cause that's the thing is like Kurt Russell and Zoe Bell are in this too. We forgot to mention I, them. I love that. They're fucking They're They're married. Right. And like Zoe Bell oh, yeah. is like his angry wife. And I'm like, yes, I, I also, love you. I like that. Uh, it's it could very well be like stuntman Mike's dad because Kurt Russell's playing another stuntman yeah, again. I love it, and he's also the narrator for a couple portions. Of that yeah, movie. I actually 
I feel like an ass because I did not recognize his voice at first. And I was oh, like, I knew Who it is right that? away. I know that. I voice. knew those dulcet tones right away. Oh, God, I love good, him. Such a good fucking movie. That is my one uh, grievance with the movie, though, is when it snaps ahead eight months after oh, yeah. Rick Dalton's uh, Italian film career. I was like, damn, I want. I would like to see some of that shit. Yeah, same. Especially since like there's that whole weird moment where. Uh, Timothy Oliphant's character is talking about uh, how Rick Dalton was considered for the great escape Mm -hmm. and they like digitally impose Rick Dalton, Leo DiCaprio into a scene from the great escape. It was super surreal. Mm -hmm. So I I would like to see, and like the little bits with like the fake TV show and the fake movies, I would have loved to have seen more of like the fake Italian movies that he was in, or at least more of that. Because it's like, that's eight months of like story that's just like, all right, we'll just have Kurt Russell read about it. Here's to hoping that special features come out that involve that. Well, that's the thing. Again, like with The Hateful Eight, I read that like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood original cut was like four hours long. I would watch this. I would would watch a four hour long cut of it. What they did with the fucking. The Hateful Eight. (laughs) Yeah. Put it all on Netflix. I'd be, yeah, that'd be awesome. Ow. Watch the shit out of that. All right, I'm dying. Anyway. (laughs) Well, um,. Do you have anything else to uh, no, closing thoughts? I feel like I could just sit here and like be like, oh my God, I love this part. Oh my God, I love this part. Like all fucking night. But yeah, yeah. so no. <laughs> no, yeah. Um, big fans of the movie. Uh, uh, really mature, introspective piece by Tarantino. The characters are phenomenal and well-written. The production design is out of this world. Um, the pacing is incredible. The world itself created as a wonderful homage to the Hollywood of that era. And it's a really clever Pulp Fiction-y style flipping the script of history that you can expect from Tarantino. So check it out. And uh, that'll do it for this episode of Monsters of Midnight. Jolin, it's always a pleasure. Pleasure is all mine. Graham was gone for most of it, so fuck him. Um, (laughs) Tune in next week. We're going to talk about some trailers uh, that have dropped in the horror sphere. Have a groovy evening, everyone. <laughs>